Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to be together with you in worship again. Good to be back among you after some travels away to the Holy Land and to Egypt. Uh, what a delightful trip that has been and what a grateful uh, heart I have uh, to have the opportunity to do that. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and thank you to our staff for doing such a phenomenal job. Didn't they do a great job in the last several weeks? We give grateful praise to Pastor Doug and Pastor Gracie for bringing good messages. The trip itself, of course, was phenomenal, uh, quite literally life-transformative, uh, and a little bit tiring. Um, uh, probably slept as much these last three days as I did in that entire two and a half weeks. And so uh, grateful to be back and grateful to try to continue to make it back into uh, the normal swing of life. Uh, took that trip with several folks from the life of this church and delighted to be with them and to grow with them in their relationship with Christ. And I pray that for you over these last several weeks throughout the season of Lent, this time of preparation for uh, Easter itself has been a blessing for you. I pray that the scripture readings that we've offered to you through the YouVersion uh, reading app and uh, the, uh, the studies that we've done, all of those have helped you grow in a relationship with Jesus and helped you to discover a richer understanding of what it means for him to be the great I am. And I hope it's preparing you most of all for his journey to the cross and for his ultimate resurrection, because that, of course, is our goal throughout any season of Lent, is that we prepare ourselves for what it means for him to make that journey, that journey of great discovery and that journey of sorrow and that journey of suffering that ultimately leads to new life and resurrection. That, of course, is always our goal throughout the season of Lent. Today, we begin to look at the fifth I am statement. You've uh, discovered, I hope, what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world in your own heart, what it means for him to be the living bread for your own life journey, what it means for him to be the gate through which we enter, and what it means for him to be the good shepherd. Today, we talk about what it means for Jesus to be the way and the truth and the life, and the ways in which that way helps bring truth into our lives and abundance into our hearts as we seek that out. And a part of what we begin to discover in all of that is this reality that this way of Jesus is a way of dwelling and being and, and discovering His way in our ways. That's our goal. And so part of what we realize is that uh, throughout each of the chapters of the Gospel of John, we hear and see these I am statements and we discover their power for us we also discover, I hope, their intimacy for us, the ways in which God is intimately in Jesus, helping us discover relationship, helping us to discover a way to dwell in that relationship with Jesus, and ultimately, that's the way and the truth and the life. We find ourselves in John's gospel in the 14th chapter. Uh, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. He has helped set them on a journey of discovery of what it will be like when he departs, and he begins to share what some scholars refer to as his last discourse, his way of communicating with them what life and faith will look like when he is physically departed and the ways in which God's Holy Spirit will uh, empower them and enable them to do God's good work in the world. So when we look at John chapter 14, we hear Jesus begin to set their hearts at ease and then to give them some wisdom about what the, uh, their future will hold. This is what Jesus says, beginning in the first verse. <coughs> Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. <laughs> no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told them, I am the way and the truth and the life. Friends, the gift of this text helps us tremendously in terms of how we understand Jesus. Now, if you were with us one month ago to the day, you may be thinking to yourself, we already read this passage. We read this passage just four weeks ago. Why are we reading this passage again? You're not going crazy. We are reading the same text again. I just need you to know we're going to approach it like many uh, parts of Scripture. Uh, it's so vivid, so dynamic, so rich, so full that there are many ways to look at it. We were trying to address four weeks ago whether or not Jesus was the only way. Today we're going to talk about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the way in which that great co concept helps us grow in a relationship with Jesus. So when we look at the text today, I'm not going to review all of those things, but one of the things I highlight is, remember John's gospel has the most distinct stories, teachings, miracles, and encounters with Jesus than any of the other, four, uh, other three gospels. John likewise takes the common, ordinary, everyday things like bread or light or sight or birth, and he spiritualizes them. He, he takes them from a physical concept, a tangible concept, and he makes them a spiritual way for us to encounter Christ. He does that over and over again. We are born anew. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the living bread. He helps us to better understand that. The thing that I want to highlight the most here in John chapter 14 is the concept of dwelling, the home place of God. Here in the very first verse of this uh, chapter 14, uh, Jesus refers to his father's home and how there's ample room in the home. And for most of us, when we hear that, we, we think of a physical place, a, the home where God resides, the place where God is, right? The, the home. And we think of rooms, and sometimes it's even rendered in old translations as a, a mansion. And we, we visualize that, and it's helpful sometimes to visualize that. But John will do what John always does. He's going to take a physical concept like a home, and he's going to help us realize that that home is not physical at all, but rather it's about a spiritual relationship with God in and through Jesus Christ. Because in fact, the word in the original Greek that's rendered as home is meno, M-E-N-O. That Greek word is used some 40 times in the Gospel of John alone. You probably have heard it most frequently without realizing that Greek word in the next chapter, John chapter 15, where he describes, as we will describe next week, how Jesus is the vine. And when, we, when Jesus is the vine, we must remain in him. And if we remain in him, just as he has remained in his Father, then we will indeed know life and love. That remain is the word meno. And so part of what we begin to discover is that this home that is God's home is a dwelling place. It's a place where we remain. It's a place where we dwell. It's a place where we live. And not just a physical place, but a place of the heart, a place even of the 
head, a place where we want to be with Jesus. And I need for us to understand that here in the Gospel of John because what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples, and in turn you and I, is that he's going to prepare this dwelling place. He's going to bring us back to that dwelling place. He's going to take us to that place. And that's why when Thomas asked the question, everybody in the room is thinking it's a physical, tangible place. Where are you going, Jesus? I don't know where you're going, Thomas says. How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus helps us to see and better understand. I, says Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he will go on throughout the rest of this chapter and the rest of this gospel to help us understand how, in fact, he is the way, how it is his teachings and his love, his care and his compassion, how all of those things together begin to point out his way and as his way, we as his followers are called to follow into that way, to be that light, to offer that bread, to demonstrate that gate, to help point people to the good shepherd, to help people understand this is the way. And it's a powerful image, right, when he expresses that to Thomas and how he helps him to see that this way leads to life. It leads to truth. It leads to abundance. It leads to God's will. And this is why his way is the way and the way that we want to go as his followers. That's why it's so important. But it's not just a physical place. It's a place of the heart. And it's a place where we need to place our heart so that it's with Christ. It's why we here at Treach have a mission that's very clear, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's in and through that relationship that we begin to find the meno, M-E-N-O, the dwelling place, the place to which we uh, must remain, the place that the heart resides. And when we place our heart with Christ and when we give our full selves to Jesus and when we commit ourselves to his ways, then we find God's truth and we discover the abundance of life that Jesus has for us. That's why our purpose, our mission as a church is helping people to grow in that relationship, to dwell there, to rest there, to find peace there, to discover joy there. All of this is the way and the truth and the life. And a part of that gift helps us to better understand why in the early days of the church, people who were followers of Jesus were often referred to as people of the way. Did you know that when you read the book of Acts, the early church history, the, 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 the fifth book in the New Testament, when you read the book of Acts uh, on a number of occasions in chapter 9 and 22 and 24 and 28, people who are Jesus followers are referred to as people of the way, and they're called people of the way because they're living his way, they're, they're dwelling in his way, they're, they're residing in his place. John would help us to see this early on in his own gospel when he would say that the word, meaning Jesus, right, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, God dwelling in the earth is creating a place, a space for us to know Jesus and to relate to Jesus and understand him more in our own hearts and lives. And so part of what we need to discover 
is that this is so much more than a physical place either to which we go when we die or which we worship in a, in a place just like this. This is a great place to be, but it's not the only place God resides, is it? We know God and we see God and we encounter God in so many other places. And Jesus is helping to highlight that the way is through a relationship with him, knowing his heart, discovering his teachings, applying them to our lives, and living them out every single day. This is the way. So in the book of Acts, Remember a guy named Saul? He's the persecutor of the church. He would eventually uh, convert and become the greatest uh, author of the New Testament and, and teach us all about Jesus. In that same chapter, chapter 9, where he is converted, he's still co uh, um, uh, condemning the church. And in, in verse 2 of Acts chapter 9, he's looking for letters from various synagogues. He seeks out those letters for the synagogues to find these people so that he can persecute them. And he literally says, I want these letters so that I can cooperate with you about the, resting, the arresting of people of the way. And those people are those followers of Jesus. And the book of Acts would go on to describe followers of Jesus as the way over and over again throughout this particular, this particular book of the Bible. And they're called the way, people of the way, because they're following Jesus' teachings. They're living this way in their lives. And so it begs the question, if indeed this is why they're called people of the way, and Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life, what was it like in that early church? What were they doing that had people calling them people of the way? Just as Jesus tells his early followers, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I reckon there were several things, but I want to highlight just four, that of those early followers of Jesus, when they lived with these qualities and characteristics, they were following the way. The first thing we begin to discover is early on they would gather in what you and I might call today house churches. They would gather in their homes and they would be together and they would pray together and they would worship together. They would celebrate together. They would discover scripture together. They would lift each other up. They would encourage each other. They would help each other out. Today, we might call that small groups. That is to say, where we do life together, where we do faith together. That's how they did it. And early in the book of Acts, it's described more than once. But in Acts chapter 2, Right after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends and Peter gives uh, his powerful speech at which 3,000 people come to faith, at the very end of that chapter, it describes the beginnings of how it is they would live together, commune together, teach together, share together, offer care and concern together. In verse 42, it literally just says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's this. Uh, to fellowship which is growing in faith together, caring for each other, loving each other. That's the fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word there. They devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper or to breaking bread together and to prayer. And when they would do those four different things in these small groups or sometimes called home church or house churches, it was that that became the foundation of how they would grow in their dwelling place with God in a relationship with Jesus. And as they did it, 
it would grow their souls and it would help them in their faith and it would commit them to the cause and it would help grow the community of faith. I cannot challenge us enough that we too need to be in these small groups. We need to be in life groups. We need to be in Sunday school classes. We need to be in Bible studies because as grand and glorious as worship is, it is for the service of God. It is to glorify God, and we need to do that on a constant basis, but we also need to grow our souls. And the early church understood that, and this is the way that leads to life and the truth of God's will. The second thing that the early church did that is written about over and over again is that they committed themselves to prayer. It tells us in the book of Acts that when they prayed together, man, miracles happened. When they prayed together, they were able to heal people. When they prayed together, the walls of prison shook and let people out. When they prayed together, they had capacity and power beyond belief. When they prayed together, they were connected to the life source. This is the beauty of prayer. And this is how prayer built the way so that people could discover truth in life. I know sometimes we think to ourselves, golly, I, I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to pray, or golly, am I supposed to do it at a certain time, or in a certain position, or a certain way, and I just want to say, just pray. Because the words are not so much important as the connection to the life source. God doesn't so much care about what we say in our prayers, but simply that we God wants that relationship. I mean, just think of any human relationship we all share, whether with our spouses, with our coworkers, with our uh, children, with whoever. Man, isn't communication like a key factor in strengthening any relationship? Why then, therefore, wouldn't it strengthen and help build a bond with God when we simply talk to our Creator and seek that life and seek that help and recognize that Paul wrote about this several times, but I love the way he put it in Romans chapter 12. He, he talked about hope. He said, golly, man, uh, be joyful because you have hope. He also said, be patient when trouble comes. And then he also said, pray at all times. Pray. Pray. Because the life source wants that connection, and we need it. And I want to challenge us, however, whenever, whatever. Let's just connect to God in prayer and discover the great joy of the abundance that he has for us. It's interesting. Not only did the early church, in following the way of Jesus, know of the power of relationship in small groups and know of the wonder of prayer, but the next thing that they did was what caused the explosion of the Christian tradition and it's also what I know in my own life, and I can only therefore assume for your life, is the hardest thing for us to do in the 21st century. I'm simply going to call it sacrifice. The early church knew that sacrifice was needful in order for Jesus to be lifted high. And the sacrifice took its, its, its shape in any number of ways. For some, it was literal martyrdom, right? People, people committed their lives to Christ, and they, they gave their lives to Christ. But it was also as simple and as straightforward as saying, Jesus is the light of my life and I'll let no other light in. Or Jesus is my good shepherd and I'll let nobody else direct my 
life. Lord Jesus is my bread, and I'll find no sustenance from any other source. You see, sacrifice literally can just mean I'm committed to this cause. I, I know this path, and it's the way I'm going to go forward. But for us in the 21st century, we often think to ourselves, man, why, why do I need to sacrifice? I mean, I've got access to all kinds of stuff, and, and I can buy this, or I can achieve that, or I can uh, accomplish this, and, and my golly, why not? I mean, this is my freedom, and this is my opportunity. Why should I have to sacrifice for anything? And therefore, when we're asked to sacrifice for Jesus' cause, we often say, oh, I don't know. I'm not real sure about that. I'd like to, and I really want to, but man, there's all kinds of stuff that I'd really rather do, right? I mean, we all get caught up in that. We all feel sometimes just like that. But what Jesus is asking is for us to commit to him first. If indeed he is the way and the truth and the life, we need to make that true, right? After all, when Jesus was calling the disciples his way, Luke's gospel tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that he said, if you want to come after me, meaning if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, now notice the order is it's pretty important. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's the sacrifice. There's a fascinating correlation to this in the history of Christianity. Do you know that in the first 300 years of the Christian church, more people died for the cause, martyred. They, they, they martyred themselves for the cause than in the rest of the 1,700 years since then. Do you also know that in that same 300-year time frame that the Christian church, that the, the followers of Jesus exploded unlike any other time in the rest of the history of the church? There's some kind of correlation between the commitment of sacrifice and the desire to share the way and the truth and the life. I'm not saying we all have to die, literally. But I am saying that a part of what it means to follow the way is to get every other path out of the way. Whatever that path is, whether it's fame or acclaim or wealth or status or achievement or accomplishment, whatever that path is, Jesus simply says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you try any other path, it's not going to work. If you try any other path, it's going to take you off course. And so part of what Jesus is calling for us and what that early, those early followers of Jesus called the way knew was that this needs to be our and this needs to be our guide so that we can genuinely find truth and life. What those early followers discovered was that by living a life of sacrifice, they could actually buy something limitless. Joy. Life. Fullness. 
simply and solely because they were willing to follow the way and none other. Fascinating concept. The last thing that we see in those early followers is the simple concept of compassion because it was the bedrock of Jesus' teaching, his healing, his wholeness, his touching of people's lives and bringing wholeness back to their lives. Those early followers, they would be the ones who created the first hospitals. They would be the ones who, who offered hope and healing to the orphans and to the widows, to the poor and to the outcast, all because they had witnessed in their own lives Jesus' compassion of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And so those early followers would say, I have to do this. I am compelled to care for others, to love others, to demonstrate mercy and compassion. Paul would write about this when he wrote to the church at Colossae. He would say, now, dearly beloved, as, as the holy and chosen people of God, you must clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience. But notice compassion was first, and that we need to demonstrate that in our conversations and in our lives. These early followers of the way, they can teach us something powerful. They can help us to better know how it is we ought to follow the way, the truth, and the life. You know, just two weeks ago, uh, 60 plus members of this church and other churches, followers of the way, were sitting on a boat in, Lake, in the Sea of Galilee over in Israel. Uh, the boat looks something like this. This is not Jesus' boat, but this was one of the boats that we were in. And from that vantage point, you could see the place where Jesus lived most of his ministry, the ways in which he calmed the storm, walked on that water, performed miracles. You could see and visualize and experience the powerful way that God was moving in and through this man and the way in which that man's life transformed the world. Likewise, from the vantage point of that boat, you could see up a hill, and you could see what is now called, and the church is called, the, the uh, Mount of Beatitudes, from which Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, the basic teachings of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, people of the way, finding God's truth and discovering the abundance of life. You see, when Jesus was talking to the disciples this day, and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I want you to come, and, and it'll be all ready. And, and Thomas didn't understand what he meant, and he literally said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. He was sharing with them the same thing he shares with you and me. This is where we need to dwell. We need to dwell and remain and be in a relationship with him. And when we find that, when we discover that, we will truly find life and we will discover God's will and God's truth. I pray that that's what we're searching for. You know, last week, Pastor Gracie asked you, who, who is shepherding your life? So I'm going to ask you a similar question. Are you finding and living this way? And discovering this truth and experiencing this abundant life because there really there is nothing else that compares there is no other way 
that the only way we discover this is to know Jesus, to dwell with him, to discover his teachings, and to live them in our lives. So I pray for myself and for you that he is our way, that he is our truth. He will bring this life. And when we do, we will discover hope beyond compare and joy unending and blessings that never cease. I pray you will discover the way and the truth and the life. Will you pray with me? Holy and blessed God, thank you that you cared enough about your creation to offer this way to point us to your truth and to help us to discover life and life abundant. God, thank you that you made Jesus the way and the truth and the life. Help us, Lord, to set aside any other ways. Help us to get rid of any other thing that we think might be truth and help us to point ourselves toward the abundance of life found in Christ. God, we're grateful that you've provided this. May we simply and solely commit ourselves to him that we might indeed know the way and the truth and the life. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of the one Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.